All right. Well, good morning, everybody. Um, unfortunately, Ron is out battling illness that has settled in his throat and making it extremely painful and dry for him to talk very long. So he already had his message prepared. So I have the privilege to give it to you today. So one of my favorite things is relationships. And so I have a question for you today. Do you know what some of the leading causes of health issues are in our world today? Obesity, lack of proper nutrition, lack of physical activity. Sober soldiers might say drugs and alcohol. All of these key things can be detrimental to our health and have an impact on our relationships with others. When surveyed, people reported that isolation was the biz biggest risk factor impacting their health. Researchers conducted by the University of Chicago concluded that isolation is two times worse for our bodies than obesity. The University of Chicago's research also showed that isolation weakens the body's immune system and raises our blood pressure to heart attack and stroke levels, increasing a person's chance of early death. Isolation means to be separated from, to be disengaged from people and our relationships with them. Why is this an issue in our society today? Possible reasons include rising divorce rates, job loss, job relocation or having to move, and a society that is more mobile, and of course, COVID. People are not staying close to home anymore. Doing something new and different is awesome. The only problem is we end up leaving our support systems, our friends, our family, etc. This happens as we go through different stages in our lives. In our teen years, we leave home for the first time. We abandon our familiar social groups to attend college or start our first job, and we start over again. A single parent wrestles with isolation of being on duty 24-7 for their kids, never getting a break. A few years ago, a documentary series called The Age of Loneliness came out. The documentary followed around a single mom with three kiddos. The mom confessed to the producers that she purposely scheduled daily trips to the supermarket so that she could get out of the house. The only thing the mom wanted was to have conversation with other adults because so much of our world and time involved caring for the kids. It is reported that one-third of fathers lose contact with their kids after a divorce, whereas the other two-thirds have to learn what to deal with loneliness due to only having every other weekend visitations. They experience isolation from having an empty house. Some people experience the thought of isolation when they think about the spouse dying and being alone for many years. Psychologist Dan Siegel describes isolation like this. Isolation is a prison that our own brain unfortunately creates for us. It is a prison that becomes increasingly more difficult to escape as time with people is replaced with screens because we're disengaged from our relationships with others. There are a lot of things that divide us in our society. It's pretty easy to point those things out in the culture that divides us and sets us against each other. There's nothing new and it looks different in each, this is nothing new, and it looks different in each generation. But what unifies us? Beyond our favorite coffee at Starbucks, or the Big Mac at McDonald's, or us cheering on our favorite sports teams, what is it that unifies us? 
For us in this room today, it is the reality that as followers of Jesus, we are one body. We are one group of people, at least that is the way that Jesus drew it up and the way he intended it to be. It is easy to judge someone from a distance based on something we've heard about them or by the way they look or the way they act. But what happens when I keep that person at an arm's distance and I don't take the opportunity to get to know the real person, who they are, their story? We end up making assumptions about them that are not true. But if I spend time with them, if I listen to them, if I approach them as a person who has a heart and a soul and an experience and a story of the past that has shaped them into who they are today, I may not always agree with that person fully, but they become a person, not just someone who is on the other side of the fence. When we gather together in fellowship, when we come together, we find at the heart of each one of us, there's a deep down desire to be known. If we're going to grow as disciples, the church must have a significant impact on culture and community around it. It must belong to one another. Just like any family, wounds occur within the church family. Hurts happen, differences are inevitable. Our church is not like Sesame Street this morning where everything just works out itself out really well with no issues. <laughs> it is not a reality. The church is made up of people with strong feelings, emotions, and convictions. Things are going to happen, but it is our responses, our ability, and our inability to have healthy conflict that shows the world outside of the church who Jesus is. Did you know this morning that there are 62 one-anothering statements in the Bible, with most of them being focused on building up relationships with others? Paul tells us that love should be our highest goal. We should desire to love one another more than we desire the spiritual gifts themselves. In Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through 31, one of the teachers of the religious law was standing there listening to the debate. He realized that Jesus had answered well, so he asked, of all the commandments, which is the most important? Jesus replied, the most important commandments is this, listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. The second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. Let's compare Mark to Luke. Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 28. One day an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him, do this and you will live. The commands themselves are pretty straightforward. Our love for people can fix a lot of things. Love brings people together. Love is all we need. A love for God and a love for each other. Relationships are built on trust, love, and mutual respect for each other. For example, Grams is one of the best examples of someone in our church who knows how to build up relationships with peer love. 
Grams has built up relationships with people half her age. And over the last 20 years, Grams has continually prayed for TJ to get sober. Graham stood by TJ through the ups and the downs of going back and forth between sobriety and relapsing. Graham's kept loving TJ. She kept encouraging him to get up. She had the come to Jesus talk with him, and she never gave up on him. Ron, rem- <laughs> Ron remembers after his first sermon three years ago, Graham's encouraged him. Graham said, you will be a great speaker one day. Take your time and practice. At that point, Ron did not feel so bad about reading the whole sermon off of a piece of a paper. Paul says this about love. Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 10. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly onto what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. In Romans chapter 13, Paul tells us that love fulfills God's requirements. Owe nothing to anyone except for your obligation to love one another. If you love your neighbor, you will fulfill the requirements of God's love. For the commandments say, you must not commit adultery, you must not murder, you must not steal, you must not covet. These and other such commandments are summed up in this one commandment. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Love does no wrong to others, so love fulfills the requirements of God's law. After reading these five verses, I have three things I want to point out to you. Our love for each other should be sincere. Love tends to be diminished, or you could say minimalized, into a feeling or an emotion. Not trying to offend anyone in here, so maybe he might be offending me. No, I'm kidding. But I'm blaming the Hallmark Channel for this. I happen to love the Hallmark <laughs> As the movies always present, the love is this deep, intense, emotional experience where the woman gets the man of her dreams or the man gets the woman of his dreams. Almost every Hallmark movie has that happy ending. The word genuine in Hebrew means to be without guile, meaning sly, manipulative, charming. And sometimes our love can look this way. A love that is genuine is not those things. It's not sly. It's not cunning. It's not manipulative. Sometimes we practice what I like to call polite love. We put on a smile. We know what to say. We know how to appear interested without really getting ourselves involved in that person's life. That is the problem with the overall church today. We practice polite love. The love that we are called to in building up relationships is to be deliberate, to be persistent, and it's decide to keep loving that person, to keep building up that relationship ship even when the love is rejected. First Timothy chapter 5 describes love as the love that comes from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. Romans 12 tells us it is love that hates evil. This is a type of hate where the Holy Spirit says, run for your life. You see it, you smell it, you sense it, get away from it. Jesus warns us not to hate another person, not even to hate an enemy, But when it comes to evil, there's a very clear directive given to us by Jesus. Hate what is evil. Evil being any action, thought, or attitude that opposes the character of God. When we come into contact with evil, we should have an adverse reaction to it. We don't want to be around it. We should run from it. We know nothing good will come from it. We hate evil, but Paul says, hold tightly to what is good or what is godly. 
Sincere, genuine love hates what is evil and embraces what is good. In Romans chapter 13, a sincere love will reflect the commandments that we have been given. It is easy to think about the Ten Commandments as a set of rules. You can do this, but not that. The first five commandments are geared towards building up your relationships with God first. And the second five are geared towards building up relationships with people. And yes, those of you that did Bible study with me would say it's four and six. So I did a little research. Some people will say it's four and six. Some will say it's five and five. But in general, it's divided into two. It's not about guilt. It's not about falling short. It's about the two greatest commandments. Taking the Ten Commandments and their two commandments. Loving God with all your heart, mind, body, and soul, and loving your neighbor as yourself. Ron shared that in his life, he has found that a lot of his own guilt has centered around him trying to pay Jesus back for what he has done for him. Trying to be the perfect Christian by trying to do more, be a better person by trying to screw up less. But the more he has read the Bible, he has found that all Jesus is asking him to do is to love him and people well. Peter puts it like this in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 16 through 17. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, and fear God. Live as people who are free. The church's strength lies in the, pe- strength lies in the people's ability to love each other, to treat each other like family. That doesn't mean that tensions don't exist, or every family has disagreements. Problems will come up, but when this happens, we have to avoid wanting to pick up our ball and go home, that I don't want to do this anymore. As members of a family, we need to ask each other, how can we resolve this? How can we work through this together? We must have those hard conversations when they come up. We need to listen. We need to hear one another out. We agree to hate what is evil and to hold tightly to what is good. Our love for one another should be practical. The love that Paul describes here is less about what I feel and more about what I do and how I act and how I engage in another person and serving them, helping them by meeting a need. Out of this genuine love, we'll start to develop for that person. The practical side of love, the doing, breaks through the barriers that our emotions can build up at times. How many times have you said to yourself or a friend, family member or coworker, I'm upset with you, but I'm not there yet in being able to forgive you. I'm not really sure I'm ready to do that yet. I'm not ready to talk about it. Then the question becomes, when I know I am there, I'm not really ready to go over to that neighbor and extend that hand of friendship. I'm just not there. So how do we define when we are there? Paul says that love is not demonstrated, it is dead. Our love for others should promote them. In Paul's day, men were very competitive. The audience that Paul was writing to were these men about being the man. Some people wanted to go and seek out because of their stature and notoriety in that day. Their behaviors were often dictated by what was best for them and not others. What would bring honor to their name, to themselves, and not others. In ancient Roman, Roman soldiers pledged never to give honor to anyone but Caesar. Caesar told them, you don't give anyone honor outside of me. What's interesting is our God tells not only to honor him, 
but to honor other people. Doing no wrong to a neighbor requires me to consider what's not only best for me, but that other person as well. Living one another means that we must put practice being second. The fear is that if we, I put myself second, who's going to look out for me? When surveyed people describe the church as having indifferences, non-commitment, disengagement, no sharing, no caring, no reaching out to the community, no accountability, and it's none of your business attitude. It's hard to build up relationships with each other when we don't spend time with each other. And people surveyed said that this was due to people being on social media and texting while spending time together. People eating meals in front of the TV and ignoring other people in the room, eating in separate rooms in the house, and work schedules. Because of these behaviors, we are engaging with people less, and this hurts our relationships. The church as a whole is not doing a good job of listening to each other, engaging with one another, and sitting with one another. Currently, there's a trend taking place in the American churches. People are choosing to leave the bigger churches to return to the small ones. Why is that? The main reason is people are looking for community. They're looking for relationships. They're looking to get connected. In a church of 2,000 people, no one knows you aside from the fact that you have, they have your email address and bank account. The pastor does not know your name. Staff and other members don't know who you are. And in some cases, people feel like they're just a number. People are returning to small and medium churches because they're looking for that intimacy that relationships bring to their lives. Having healthy relationships with others can bring about self-fulfillment as God has designed us to be relational. And there are two approaches we can take with this. We can embrace the cultural view of self-protection, looking out for our own interests above everything else, or the other option is we live with vulnerability. The same vulnerability that Jesus lived with. We go ahead and we love people with a chance that they may not love us back. Jesus showed his vulnerability when he got down on the floor and he washed the disciples' feet. These are his friends. Jesus washed their feet despite the fact that he knew the disciples were not going to wash his. But this is the kind of love that we are to have for one another. It's small things like that that help us build up relationships with others. A love that is vulnerable. I'm going to love you even if you don't love me back the same way. This unconditional love is what changes people. It changes cultures, it changes attitudes, and it changes behaviors. So I just described what loving one another looks like, a love that looks impossible by yourself. No one person has the capacity to love our entire church, our entire community, in this way by themselves. You just cannot do it. Collectively, though, through each one of us doing our part in the church to love each other sincerely and in practical ways, doing what we can to promote other people above ourselves, this is where love is expressed in its fullest. ESPN calls themselves the worldwide leaders in sports entertainment, while the church body of Christ is to be the worldwide leaders in love. People should look to followers of Jesus to understand what love is. The church should be worldwide leaders of Jesus' love and the way the church lives it out. These commands from Jesus like 
go and make disciples, take the good news to all the world, is not aimed at growing his numbers. That is not God's intent. It's for our spiritual, social, our mental, and physical well-being, where you were created for relationships, for engagement. When Ron was 10, he was riding his bike down a hill and lost control and fell off. He broke his arm and had to wear a cast for eight weeks. When the doctor took the cast off his arm, two things happened. One, his freckles were all grouped together, and his left arm looked pretty thin and white, whereas his other arm looked toned and tanned. That's because muscle atrophy had taken place, which it reduced in the size of the tissue or the organ. For example, when breaking an arm, the arm is temporarily put into a cast for the bone to heal in position. In light of this, many of the muscles in the arm go unused for a period of time and begin to waste away. Church, this is what happens to our relationships when we neglect them. This is what happens to our love towards others when we don't exercise it. And we isolate ourselves from those around us. We love one another so that we can avoid spiritual atrophy from happening. If we don't love one another, how are we going to exercise our spiritual muscles that are vital to our well-being? Souls being coming weak, they don't look right. They don't operate in the correct way. But with love, we have the capacity to grow. As a church, just keep doing what you're doing. What you're doing is not broken, so why fix it? In the last two years, God has used this church like a magnet. We have people coming from all over, Indianola, Altoona, West Des Moines, Ankeny, Grimes, Waukee, Perry, Johnston, Jordan Creek. His people have, his people have visited this church and watched online. They have, they have went back and told friends and families and coworkers, you have to come check out this community in West Des Moines. They're not doing church there. They're doing community. They're building up relationships. West Des Moines is doing things differently. West Des Moines has gotten a reputation in these communities as a church that builds up relationships well with people. In closing, Ron would like to share two life events that have happened through here that have impacted his life. The first has been TJ's 180-degree turn around and the growth in the last two years. Just two years ago, Andrew and Ron visited TJ when he was in the hospital, and TJ's heart was only working at 40% capacity, and TJ thought he was going to have to go on disability. TJ's story of going from the hospital bed and almost dead to leading the Sober Soldiers Ministry is inspiring. The second is watching this church and Sober Soldiers embrace John. Just a year ago, John almost died from drinking too much. At the time, Ron was his job coach and kept telling his team that he had resources to get John the help he needs at the church and with Sober Soldiers. John was, John was Ron's first person to graduate, and John was also the first person invited to the church that actually came. Little did he know, just saying yes to his supervisor to switch sites with another job coach that John was going to become his friend. It is interesting how God works. I just want to say thank you on behalf of Ron and I 
for being that relationship and love and support over the last five years. And this is where the Kleenexes might come in. <laughs> no relationships are very important to me, and thank you for letting me be with your children and love on them and help them grow. Um, we're not too far away, so please, we'd love to have visitors, so come visit us, and I'm sure you'll still see us around some. Um, but thank you. Okay.